Let's uh, start our time with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, once again, we are uh, delving into deep waters to think about your decree of elections. We pray you would keep us from error and for, from investigating things that are too lofty for us. And so we pray that we would content ourselves with the things you clearly revealed in your word, that we might find great comfort from them. Forgive us of our sins. Bless our time, we pray, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, so today I want to look at Articles 10 through 12 of the Canons of Dort, the first head of doctrine, Articles 10 through 12. So if you're using the hymnal, you'll find that on page 899. If you're using the Forms and Prayers book, it's on 261. And if you're using the soft cover, it's 149. If you have it in another source, I don't know what page it's on. Um, I've done as much as I can do to help you. Um, so we want to look at the Canons of Dort, first head, Article 10. 11 and 12. Um, that's going to be our subject for today. So <clears throat> Article 10 we can deal with rather briefly because it's the flip side of the coin from what we talked about last time. Uh, Article 9, you'll notice the heading, election is not based on foreseen faith. So that was what election was not based on. Um, Article 10 is what election is based on, and that's relatively easy to state. It's based only on God's good pleasure. Why does God choose those he chooses? Only because of his good pleasure. Uh, that's as much as we can say about that. So Article 10 says, but the cause of this undeserved election is exclusively the good pleasure of God. This does not involve his choosing certain human qualities or actions from among all those possible as a condition of salvation, but rather involves his adopting certain particular persons from among the common mass of sinners as his own possession. As scripture says, when the children were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, she, Rebecca, was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Also, all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Um, and so, really we can make it very simple in terms of person. Not supposed to draw pictures of God. Um, so really when it comes down to election, God either is choosing for reasons in you or reasons in him. And most forms of Arminian, Arminianism will say in some sense, God chooses for reasons in you. That he looks and sees that you will meet the conditions that he lays out. And that's what we talked about in terms of foreseen faith. That God looks at, at a person and says, that person will exercise faith, that person will exercise the obedience that comes from faith, that person will persevere to the end, and therefore, based on what I see is true of them in the future, I choose them. Um, and what we say is that's not true. God doesn't choose for any reason that's in us. God chooses for reasons that are in him. He chooses on the basis of his good pleasure. Um, as he puts it in scripture, I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. Um, that's as far as we can get into it, that God chooses from reasons that are in him because of his good pleasure. So Article 10 specifically says, this does not involve his choosing certain human qualities or actions as condition of salvation. So he's not choosing based on qualities in human beings, or actions that we will undertake. 
right? He's choosing solely out of his good pleasure. Um, and that, that comes across clearly from, like we, we keep coming back to Ephesians 1, 4, because it's very clear there. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He chose us to be holy and blameless. So whatever qualities or actions we have as Christians flow out of his choice. So they can't be the basis of his choice. They actually flow out of his choice. Um, So they can't be the basis for God's choosing. Um, God chooses apart from them in in the things that are in him. Um, In the rejection of errors number five, um, it quotes a number of passages that are helpful in this regard. Election is not by works, but by him who calls. Romans 9, 11 through 12. That would exclude any qualities or actions, whether foreseen or not foreseen. Right? That would be a, still an election by works, even if it's based on foreseen faith. That would still be a work. And the Bible specifically said it, election is not by works, but by him who calls. Um, all those who were appointed for eternal life believed. That means that that appointment is put prior to belief. They were appointed and so they believed. Um, that, that's clear from Acts 13, 48. Um, he chose us in himself so that we should be holy. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Uh, that's what Jesus says in John 15, 16. Um, and if by grace, it's not by works, Romans eleven six. 6. And And what this always does is imposes conditions and say, God imposes conditions for salvation. He makes the condition, but you have to meet the condition. So it's a way of saying sometimes God doesn't elect people. He elects conditions. He doesn't choose particular persons. He chooses conditions that must be met. So God makes the condition, and then you need to meet the condition. Um, and so that's, that's all we can say about the decree of election. That's what some Arminians would say. Um, God doesn't choose people, he chooses conditions. Uh, that's kind of what you get in Rejection of Errors, um, art paragraph 3. Um, he doesn't choose people, he chooses conditions. And out of all possible conditions, the act of faith is counted by God as worthy of a reward. And so salvation then essentially is your reward for believing. He put the condition there, you've met the condition, and the reward of meeting the condition is salvation. Um, And you see how that becomes very problematic, I hope. Um, If you don't see, we'll talk about how that becomes very problematic. Um, Because it makes God a debtor to us. And the clear teaching of Scripture is God is not a debtor to us. We are debtors to Him for everything that we have. What do we have that we have not been given? Um, And so... It's not made by God, met by us, and rewarded um, because that would nullify both God's good pleasure as the ground of election, and it also interferes with the merits of Christ as the only ground of our salvation. It makes salvation in some sense, I do my part and God does his part. Um, in extreme forms, this is you know Pelagianism. I can just do it all myself. That's been pretty well destroyed. But there still are semi-Pelagians or semi-Augustinians. Um, and depending on which you fall in the camp of is how much work you think God is doing. Um, so either you do all the work, but it doesn't look like this guy can do much. Um, he's got no fingers. It's kind of grotesque if you think about it. Um, he can't really do much, 
um, he certainly can't do enough to save himself. And any form of, I have to do part, makes you at best a semi-Augustinian, which is not what you want. Because it's, all, it's either all of grace, or it's part of grace. And so no matter how, how much you try to make it mostly of grace, and only a tiny bit of your work, you know that like, God's brought the ball 99 yards and two feet down the line, you just got to push it over the goal line. Um, any kind of talk like that at best makes you semi-Augustinian because you're saying it's mostly grace, but I still need to do the little bit at the end. If it's a lot of what you need to do, then it's Pelagian. Either way, it's bad. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just write that. It's bad. Either way, bad. God has to do it all. It's out of his good pleasure that everything else flows. That's what we have to understand. Yes, ma'am. Because then he's rewarding the faith that you put in. How does that make God a debtor to me? Is that God has to reward what I've done. So I, he made a condition. I met the condition, so he's obligated to sort of pay off on it. That's, kind of, and that's a very crass way of putting it. I realize I'm, I'm making what's sophisticated theology very simplistic. But that's essentially what it boils down to, is you're making God a debtor to you. Because you've done the thing, and now he owes you the reward of meeting that condition. That's how it makes, you know, sort of puts God in our debt in that sense. Um, but any, any kind of this sort of thinking, if, if it's at all centered on my qualities and actions, that's going to involve any number of intense theological questions on what kind of qualities do I have to show and what kind of actions do I have to undertake to be suitable to God. Um, and that leads to a complete erosion of any comfort. Because there's any, num- any number of endless speculations on what qualities or actions on my part that God has foreseen might cause him to choose me. Um, and it makes the whole completion of salvation dependent on qualities and actions that God sees that I will undertake. And so if I say God has said you need to ha- you have faith, you have the obedience of faith, you have to persevere to the end. How do I know that I have the qualities and actions that God has chosen because I can't how do I know that I'm going to persevere to the end when I'm not yet at the end? Um, it leaves it an open question. Or you can imagine somebody asking the question, what happens if I develop Alzheimer's at some point and I can't put trust in God? What happens if I lose my mind and I do certain things that I would no, no, in no sense otherwise do? Does that mean I lose my salvation? Because I can't undertake to do what God has required me to do. You see how that ends up in any, any number of speculations that way. Um, and what the good news is, that's not what Scripture teaches us. <laughs> scripture teaches us that salvation is solely out of the good pleasure of God. And because God has set his love on us, everything flows to us from that love. And that's really what we want to keep coming back to in election. Election is the fountain out of which everything else flows to us. Um, So all the things we're talking about in terms of justification, in terms of sanctification, in terms of glorification, all of that flows to us because of God's good pleasure in choosing us. Not because of anything that was in us, but because it was his good pleasure to choose certain people. And so his election is not based on anything but the good pleasure of God. It's all from what is in God and not of what's in us. That's why it's impossible to begin to ask the question, why would God choose certain persons and not choose other persons? Because that's to inquire into the hidden decree of God. Um, What he reveals to us is, I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion, 
and I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. Beyond that, we can't really delve into. All we can say is what he's revealed to us, which is, if I've decided to show mercy, you'll be saved. That's what's clearly set forth in Scripture. That I do choose certain people, and I choose them to salvation. Um, And that those I predestine, I call. Those I call, I justify. Those I justify, I glorify. So it carries through all the way to glory because it flows from God's good pleasure and is not dependent in any way on my qualities or actions. Yes, sir. So when Abraham said he believed, Yeah, it's my faith, right? When I, so Abraham believed and God credited him as righteousness, right? Um, so was Abraham saved because he believed? Was that the quality or action in Abraham that caused him to be saved? No, right? See, I can ask questions too. Uh, That's where you run yourself into danger. Um, No, you're right. Abraham believed. And so we never want to say, I don't believe that it's not my faith. But the faith I have is even a gift from God. So I believed and so I spoke, right? That's in scripture. We don't ever want to say, faith isn't mine, but why do I have faith? I have faith because God's good pleasure was to give me the gift of faith. And so his choice flows out in everything else that I do. So I I try my best to obey, right? Even the holiest of men make only a small beginning, but we all try to begin to obey God. It's our obedience. We're trying to obey, but why are we obeying? Well, because we've been given a new heart by the Holy Spirit because we believe in Jesus Christ, because his spirit dwells within us and is at work in us to sanctify us more and more. So it's our faith, it's our obedience, but we don't have anything we're not given by God. And none of that is the basis on which he chooses us. Right? So Abraham believed in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. But where was Abraham originally? He was living as a pagan in the Ur of Chaldees until the Lord came and called him to follow him. Right? And so God still came to Abraham out of his choice to choose him to come and follow him. And Abraham put his faith and trust in the promises of God. Am I getting at your question? Okay. Yeah, so we're not saying I don't believe. We're not saying I don't obey. But we're saying where does my faith and where does my obedience come from? It starts all on this fountain of God's, cho- God's choice. It's the fountain from which everything else flows. It's the tree from which that fruit grows. Yes, sir. Yeah, I'm not sure how an Arminian would avoid that as you don't have reason for boasting if it's some, somehow dependent on you. It seems, I mean, the articles, the, re, the rejection of errors specifically say that would give you a ground for boasting, and that can't be. Yes, ma'am. Um, it's about me. Um, I do believe in predestination. I believe that God chooses according to his will and mine is zero. Mm-hmm. And I feel guilty, and I feel worthy, and I feel incapable of thinking. Mm-hmm. And I feel that when I do something good, sometimes I do it for being good. Right. Why? 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, article 12 talks about that. Why do we doubt and why do we have lack of assurance? So we're going to get there. And if we don't get there, I'll ask your question again or I'll try to get to it, okay? All right, so because that's a really important question. Why do we sometimes not feel as assured as other times if, if everything flows to us so surely from God's choosing? How do we think about these things? So I think that'll will help see that a little bit as we go on, but we'll come back to that because it's very important. Yeah. Yeah, where should election function in our evangelism? Um, it should not be the thing you start with. Um, that, that should always be the case. What we're talking about is the decree that's behind faith, right? And what the calling is in the world is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we say, well, where does that come from if you believe? Well, it's a gift of God. Why does he give me that gift? Because of his good pleasure. So we're just walking the trail back, but someone who doesn't believe needs to be called to faith in Christ. And so we start with, what are we called to do? Um, we're not called to be elect. That's what God has done before the foundation of the world. And that's, that's in his, it's his, his secret divine decree. I don't know who's elect, so I don't walk around trying to spot people who might be in the book of life and then witness to them. We don't want to start with election. We want to start with what God has clearly called us to. And the evangelistic appeal you always see in Scripture is repent and believe in Christ. Um, when Paul summarizes his ministry to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, he says, I taught to you publicly and privately repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ. That's the, the summary of the gospel. If you need to know what to evangelize with people, they need to repent of their sins and put their faith and trust in Christ. That's, that's what we get into. Now, with anything, you eventually want to make disciples and teach them everything that Jesus taught us. And so we, want to, we don't want to be simplistic um, so there's a time to teach election, but it's never the place to start with people. Um, we need to call them to put their faith and trust in Christ. What we realize is no one can believe unless they've been given the gift, and no one receives a gift less, unless God has chosen them. But this is just walking back an explanation theologically, and is not something I would ever do in evangelism. Um, not, not early on. This is, that's something I would do as part of the disciple-making process. But if you're simply saying, what is the evangelistic call to those who don't know Christ? It's repent and believe in Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. For there's no other name given among men by which you must be saved. Yes, sir? So how does apostasy fit? How does apostasy fit? Yeah, I mean, we don't know who's elect. I mean, we, we can say certain things about, but we can only make judgments of charity because we don't know the heart. And so... I can't always judge what a true faith is. I can judge by what people tell me, and I can judge by the fruits that I see. But my judgment is not, you know, I'm not omniscient in my judgment. I'm not perfect in my judgment. And the testimony, unfortunately, throughout history is that there's always been unbelievers and hypocrites mixed in with the true church. Um, there are people who, who leave the church. There's a parable of the sower. There's things that, you know, there's seed that falls in the rocky ground that never grows up, some that falls, and it you know, it grows for a time and it's choked out by the world. There's some that seem so. There's the only reason, you, only way you can really tell is if it gets up and bears fruit. Um, but sometimes when, you know, when it's in its initial growing phase, the one that's going to choke out and die can look a lot like the one that's going to grow up and bear fruit. 
And so we, we just want to make sure that we never speak fully as if we know whose names are written in the book of life. Um, when someone says they believe and they are living a Christian life, we don't doubt that they're Christians. Um, but the real proof of apostasy is when someone leaves. You know, John said they went out from us because they were not of us. And someone who goes out was never truly of us. No one who has ever been chosen by the good pleasure of God ever fails to reach glory. Um, but we don't always know and we can't always judge. We, we make our best judgment by externals. But if someone's, you know, a hypocrite and behaving like a hypocrite and trying hard to kid people, it can be very hard for us to spot that. So an apostate is never someone who is walking away from election. An apostate is always someone who looked like they were part of God's people, but were not. Does that make sense? Okay. We, we always have to, we have to read these things forward, and sometimes we try to read them all the way backward, and it doesn't work well. Because we say, well, that person looked like they had faith, but like a true and living faith doesn't erode. Um, that's why we also talk about a true faith, to distinguish between a historical faith or a temporary faith where someone seems like they believe for a time, but they end up walking away. But whenever the church is preaching, it's always preaching to a mixed crowd. So when you preach, you don't know who you're talking to. You could be talking to believers, you'd be talking to hypocrites, you can be talking to unbelievers. When I, when I made an evangelistic appeal in my sermon this morning, I was not appealing to believers, to become believers. You're already a believer. But I, but I recognize there might be people in the crowd who are not believers, and I'm appealing to them to believe. But I have to address the whole crowd. The Bible does that at times too. Addresses the whole crowd. Like Hebrews is a good example. Some people will say, what about the book of Hebrews when it's talking about people who you know, walk away? Well, he's addressing a whole congregation, some of whom are, are seeming to succumb to the temptation to walk away. And he's saying in a very simple way, if you're thinking about walking away, don't do it. Right? But that's not saying that someone who was a true believer has fallen away. Because that can't happen. And why can't it happen? Because God made a choice, God made a gift, and his gifts don't fail. That's where the source for hope starts out. Dan, did you want to say something? Well, it's, you know, and it's not for us as individuals to look around and say who's an apostate Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think I brought up the fact that at some question and answer, somebody was asked, well, you know, I don't understand why a Calvinist would ever do evangelism. If God's doing the choosing, what's, what's the point? And the response was, it's because God does the choosing that I do evangelism. <laughs> because otherwise, if I thought, I, if I, thought I was going to depend on my effectiveness, I wouldn't do it because I wouldn't be able to convince, I'd be too afraid I wouldn't be able to convince people. So yeah, I mean, it, is under, it undergirds what we do, absolutely, and gives us hope that, and the, the confidence to know that when it doesn't go right, it's not because it doesn't, I don't bear the weight of that, that I, I could talk somebody into making the decision. And that's the dangerous thing from an Arminian perspective. That's the dangerous thing that we, that we saw during the Second Great Awakening in this country, which people were, were told, you have what is necessary in you to do the choosing. And so what do I need to do then? I need to come to you and force it out of you, in a sense. Or I can you know, play the song that really moves you or preach the sermon that really moves you and, and use things like certain kinds of music and certain kinds of lighting to sort of move you to, to exercise what's in you for the sake of the Lord. Um, of course, that's not how it works. And what that ended up doing is just burning over districts with this kind of emotional appeal that ended up really not producing a whole lot of fruit because it was fundamentally flawed. Um, so yeah, it can be a huge encouragement to evangelism to, to remember God does the choosing and there are people out there who belong to him but who've not yet put their faith and trust in him and that when they hear the voice of their master, they'll follow I know my sheep and they follow me, Jesus says. They hear my voice and say, that's my shepherd, I need to follow him. Um, so yeah, all of these things are very important. What we always have to remember is we make judgments of charity all the time, right? So someone comes to the consistory and says, I want to make profession of faith. We ask questions. We investigate with that person. We, we know something about their lives and how they live and what they believe. But we don't know their hearts. Um, we can judge the best we can by externals. But all of us have to make a judgment of charity. Um, and if somebody ends up going under church discipline or walking away, I don't, you don't come to the consistory and say, like, how did you not sniff that out? Well, it's because sometimes hypocrites and unbelievers look like believers. Um, and so we have, to, we have to recognize our own limitations. So we have to remember in election what we're talking about. We're talking about God's divine choice before time and all eternity to save certain persons out of the common mass of humanity that had plunged itself into sin. This is all of humanity considered as fallen. These are the people that God chooses to save out of that mass of, of humanity. How he saves them is a different question, right? The, the order in which he works in the life of someone who he purposes to save, that's a different question. Um, we heard a little bit about that from our brother Daniel Cortez last week, right, in terms of regeneration, the birth from above. That's, a diff that's the way God does it. But right now, in election, what we're really talking about is the plan of redemption. Um, or we could say it this way, redemption planned. So we always have to kind of keep in mind of, of what we're doing in this section. We're talking about the plan. Later, we're going to talk about the accomplishment of redemption, and then we're going to talk about the application of redemption. And that's going to come into how the, how the Spirit then works out that plan in time and history and then in the life of his people. So the plan leads to the accomplishment of the cross, and then the cross, that work then gets applied to believers in time and history by the Holy Spirit. Um, so there's a certain sense in which God made a plan for my redemption before the foundation of the world. He saved me, you know, accomplished that redemption at Calvary and worked it in my heart when I came to faith in Christ. 
So it started in eternity, but it worked out and it works itself out in time and history in certain ways. And so we're beginning with the plan. And so we're asking, our, you can see how this, this brings our minds to think, how does the plan affect time and history? How does it affect my salvation and the application of it to myself and other people? In assurance, in evangelism, all these kinds of things, right? There are applications of it, but we have to make sure that we remember we're talking about the plan for right now. Um, and then we're going to see how the plan works itself out as we go along. So these are all good questions. Um, and the first head will we'll start to answer some of them, but we will have to wait to some of the other um, heads of doctrine if we can get there um, to, to talk about these things. So all good questions, um, but we just need to remember that the plan of redemption comes from God's good pleasure, not any of our qualities or actions. That's not the basis for his choice. Um, and Article 11 is fairly straightforward then. Um, God's decree of election is unchangeable. Um, we, we've talked about this before, and that sort of stands to reason. If God is choosing from reasons that are in him and not reasons that are outside of him, then he's unchangeable, and therefore the things he decrees are unchangeable. Right? It, just, it sort of is, is the nature of the case. So that just as God is, his, is himself most wise, unchangeable, all-knowing, and almighty, so the election made by him can neither be suspended or altered, revoked or annulled. Neither can his chosen ones be cast off, nor their number reduced. Um, because it all depends on him, it can't change. Why? Because there's nothing in his wisdom that he, has, that he doesn't know. There's nothing in his power that he doesn't work. I mean, why do we change plans? Well, because we learn new information or we, you know, the money we were going to spend on vacation had to go to the car repair we didn't anticipate. And so, therefore, we're not going on vacation now. You know, those kinds of things happen. Why? Well, because we're not all-knowing and we're not all-powerful. We're, we're limited in our knowledge. We're limited in our resources. And that's why our plans change. What would cause God's plan to change? You know, what, what circumstance could happen that, you know, God isn't affected by circumstances. He, he makes circumstances what they are. So when you're sovereign, you, there can't be anything you didn't anticipate, right? It's not just a matter of knowing. It's, it's a matter of it comes to being because he's decreed it. So what could there be that would change what he's decided to do, right? And, and the scriptures are filled with these reminders that I don't change, and reminders that that's a good news, that's good news for us. God says at one point to his people, I don't change, that's why you're not consumed. If I changed, you would be consumed. But we have a God who does not change, and who's loved us with an everlasting love. Um, and so he doesn't change, his choices don't change, there's nothing that can cause his election to be suspended, altered, revoked, or annulled. And his chosen ones cannot be cast off, nor their number reduced. Why? Because he's chosen to save. And when he chooses to save, he will go and save. Um, that's part of where we draw our assurance. Is that Christ is a good shepherd. And the Father said, go save my people. And Jesus said, I will go in the world and save your people. Um, and I'll lose none of them. But I'll raise them up on the last day. Um, and so God's word says, that's what Jesus said. This is the will of him who sent me, John 6, 39, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Um, he's been given a people by the Father. He's not going to lose any of his people. 
um, or John 10, 28 and 29, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Um, now I've heard, I've heard Arminians say, well that says no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand, that doesn't mean you can't leave the Father. Um, but that seems to go entirely against what Jesus is saying there. Because he says, I give them eternal life, they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. It's not just you can't, you can't, you can't say that, well no one else can take me, but I could take myself away from God. Um, that, that just defies exactly what Jesus builds up through John 6 through John 10. Um, and we have to remember the golden chain. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. That's an unbreakable chain that's presented to us of salvation. Um, and so there's nothing that can change God's electing purpose. There's nothing that would change it. It can't be revoked. And so those he chooses, he saves. Because that's what he chooses them for. He chooses them for salvation, for glory. Um, so that, that decree can't change. That sort of flows from who God is. And so then that brings us to Article 12, the assurance of election. Um, how does this doctrine impact Christian living? Um, and that's what I appreciate about the canons. We can get into these kind of high-flying theological discussions, which we have already gotten to some of them, right? Um, but the, the point it always wants to bring back to is, how does this help me in my life? How does this help me as a Christian in living my life to understand the value of election? Um, how do I know that I'm elect? Right? How do I know that I'm elect? Because election sounds great, right? Because if I'm elect, I'm going to be saved. That's wonderful. How do I know that I'm elect? Um, well, we were reminded earlier, we don't have the book of life. So we can't look at God's eternal decree and know for sure what his eternal decree says. Um, but what can we look to? Um, we can see the unmistakable fruits of God's election at work in the life of his people. So there's two things that we, that we don't want to do. First is we don't want to inquire into the secret and deep hidden things of God. Um, that's what Article 12 will say. Um, such assurance comes, the second sentence, such assurance comes not by inquisitive searching into the hidden and deep things of God. Right? We're not going to be able to get into God's decree that way and say, am I elect that way? So if we can't do that, what do we look to? Well, if we don't look to God, we look to us. You might say, no, I thought you just said, you just said not to do that. Um, well, I'm, I'm going to qualify it. Um, what are we to be looking for in us? Not by searching into the deep and hidden things of God, but by noticing within themselves with spiritual joy and holy delight the unmistakable fruits of election pointed out in God's word, such as a true faith in Christ, a childlike fear of God, a godly sorrow for their sins, a hunger and thirst for righteousness, and so on. What am I looking for? Not... God's eternal decree that's hidden from me that I can never get into. Because that'll never give me any insurance. I can't get into this question. It's never good when you try to inquire into hidden things of God. That's never a source, that's never a pathway to assurance. It's usually a pathway to doubt and despair. Um, so he says, okay, so the canon says, don't look, at, look, don't look into the secret decree of God, but look at what God has said in his word. 
What has he said in his word is true of his people? Well, his people have certain qualities. His people have a true faith. His people, what are the other things he lists? A true faith in Christ. This he, who didn't write the cans. Uh, what did they say? A true faith in Christ, a childlike fear of God. This is not the servile fear of someone who's, who's threatened with punishment. This is a, a child who knows a father loves them. The service of a child who's loved by their father. A godly sorrow for sin. Um, a hunger and thirst for righteousness and so on. What does the word of God say? It says that all of those kinds of things flow from the fountain of election. So it's, it's, it's like it's saying you can't go back to the source. It's like an underground spring. You can't see the underground spring. It's down there, and you know it's down there. Why? Because water's coming bubbling out of it. Right? That, that's how you would know it's an underground spring. And that's not because you're sitting there like thinking about the deep things of underground springs. You're, you're saying, I see water bubbling out. That's how I know it's down there. Um, you know, it's the same thing with, same thing with a tree. Now we're getting into the bad art portion of the program. Um, it's like a tree. If you see a tree with apples on it, hold the art prizes till the end, please. Um, you see a tree that's bearing fruit. How do you know that that, that that tree is a healthy tree? How is it being fed? How is it producing it? Well, you know that there's a root system underneath that's producing all of that. Now, how do I know it has a good root system? Not by digging up the root system and saying, yep, there it is, but by saying this tree's growing and it's bearing fruit. It's bearing fruit. That's how I know that tree's alive and has a root system that's going on. I can't see the roots, but they have to be there because there's fruit. I might not be able to see the underground spring, but I can see the water bubbling out of it. And that's exactly what we're doing with election, is saying, I can't see the decree of election in eternity in the secret purposes of God, but I know that when God has promised that people will be elect and he's promised to work in a saving way in their lives, it produces things that are tangible and things that you can see. I believe in Jesus. I trust in God. I desire to live a godly life. I hunger and thirst for righteousness. Notice a hungering and a thirsting for righteousness is not saying I am perfectly righteous. It's saying I desire to live a godly life. I desire to do the things that are pleasing to God. Those are evidence that the fountain is flowing forth in your life. And so rather than look back to the hidden things that are in the decree of God, we look to the things he said will always flow from his decree of election, which is a true faith. Now a true faith can be a weak faith at times. A true faith can be a doubting faith at times. Uh, can be filled with anxiety um, and fear. We, we can say, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. We can look at our lives and say, I desire to live a godly life, but I wish I saw more fruit in my life. Um, I, I trust in God, but I know there are times I can trust in Him more. We can see those limits in our life, but the fact that they're present there still um, shows that God's purpose of election is sure. Those are the kinds of things that we're looking for, right? Those are the unmistakable fruits of election in our lives. Um, those, those things that we know are true of us. So I can answer the question, do I hunger and thirst for righteousness? I can answer that question. Um, I can't answer the question, what was God's decree in all eternity with any certainty? But what I can say is, because I hunger and thirst for righteousness, I must have been elect because it flows from him.
the, the fact that I have it must, must flow from Him. It doesn't come without that. Um, and so if I want to assure myself, I have to assure myself by the things that are tangible. We talk about that in Christian life. Why do we do good works? One of the reasons is so I can be assured of my faith by its fruit. Because the more good work I produce, like, yeah, sometimes I don't like the look of this fruit, just like I don't like the look of my artwork right now. Um, I wish I could erase it, but not yet at the time. Um, it doesn't look like great fruit. It's black. I won't see that. Um, but, what, what is, but it's fruit, right? And that's, I think, where we struggle in the Christian life as we say, I want to see bigger fruit. I want to see better fruit. I'm hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Um, I want to see it better. And the fact that it's not better can often be the source of our doubt. I want to believe more. That's why, I'm, de- that's why I, I'm, I'm struggling with doubt. I want to be better. I want to trust, but I seem like I'm untrusting. I'm, I'm struggling in all of these ways. Um, but what, is, what does salvation remind us? It depends on God, not on us. A weak faith takes hold of the same strong Christ. A true faith is not always as solid as is it, for me as it is for somebody else. But I'm not saved by my faith. I'm not saved by my works. I'm not saved by my hungry and thirsty for righteousness. I believe because I'm saved. I believe I hunger and thirst for righteousness because God is at work in me. Um, you know, so we always have to come back to that. And usually our doubts come from looking at ourselves and saying, I don't see what I'd like to see. Um, but when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, what is the scripture's promise? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Right? We're not satisfied yet, but we will be. Um, and so I think that's where we begin with assurance. Um, is saying usually when my assurance starts to fade, it's because I'm looking too much at myself and not enough at my Lord. Um, so, so that's what the article says. And it reminds us in that first sentence, assurance of this, their eternal and unchangeable election to salvation is given to the chosen in due time, though by various stages and in differing measure. Um, we don't always all have the same assurance at the same time of our election. Uh, sometimes that's harder for us to come to, but that's why we don't look again at the eternal decree. We look at the unmistakable fruits that always flow from election in the life of God's people. So you asked a very important question before about assurance. Does that touch on some of those things or do you have other questions? Yeah. Usually what happens when we're doubting is we, we, we've fallen back into the trap of the law, which is in our heart by nature. Do this and you live, don't do it and you die. And we can take anything and put it back into that mode because that's our usual way of thinking. That's what we're wired for. Do it and you live, don't do it and you die. So we take faith and we put it in a legal context. I don't know if I'm doing it enough to live. That's not what faith does. Faith says, I haven't done enough to live, so I'm looking to the one who can make me live. Um, It's not the strength of my faith that saves me. Um, We always have to remind ourselves, it's not the strength of my good works that saved me or prove my love for God. Um, That I want to do works proves my love for God. The fact that I'm dissatisfied, that's that's usually a good sign in a Christian life. If I was walking around being like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm honest, honest, I'm pretty thrilled with this fruit. It's awesome fruit. You know, if, if I was really proud of this artwork, you'd be like, we need to have a serious conversation about art because um, you don't understand it. Look at these roots, terrible. Um, 
you know, you would say you don't, you don't get art because if you think that's good, you don't, you don't get it. But if I look at it and go, that's terrible, and everyone goes, amen, then we know that we understand something about art, right? That's the same thing with the Christian life. I understand something of holiness when I look at my life and say, what a mess. I wish it was so much better. Godly discontent, in some sense, is a mark of a Christian. Because what we're saying in that moment is, I want to be like Jesus, and I'm not. That's the mark of a Christian. A Christian wants to be like Jesus and is unhappy that we're not. There, there can be a godly discontent in life. And what we never need to have, what we always want to do is not let it drive us to despair. Because I'm not saved by my faith, and I'm not saved by my work. I'm saved by Jesus. And we always have to come back to that, because we, especially Reformed people, tend to talk we're saved by grace. We're saved by faith. We, we say those things, and they're important things to say. Um, but by grace, through faith, Christ's saving work becomes ours. And so we never want to focus so much on grace or so much on faith that we lose sight of Christ. Um, and that's why everything we do is meant to always point us back to Christ crucified as the only ground of our salvation. What do I preach? Christ crucified. What do we see in the Lord's Supper? Christ crucified. What do we see in baptism? Christ crucified. Right? The blood and spirit that washes away our sins. The body and blood that are broken and shed for our remission of sins. Christ crucified. Why does God do that? Because he knows we need it and don't get it. Why doesn't he give me a lot of things to preach? Because he said, it'll take you a lifetime to figure this out. That this is the only ground of your salvation. Christ crucified. Preach it. Look at it in the sacraments. Partake in them. Put the water on people. Let them eat the bread and drink the wine. They need that to be assured that just as truly as that happened on the cross, it was for them. So when we talk about all these things, we can get really down into the weeds with theology. The end of the day is I need Jesus to save me. And Jesus saved me. Um, and why did, why did he save me? Because he had a purpose before the foundation of the world to save. And he doesn't fail to carry out his purpose. Right? That's the time we have. So let me close in prayer. Father in heaven, we bless your name as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you've blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. We rejoice that our names are written in heaven. Lord, we're thankful for all of the benefits of election that flow to us out of your sovereign good pleasure. Help us never to look at ourselves and think that there's some quality in us that made you choose us from other people where we are as much debtors to your grace as they are. Um, but let us be thankful that you are willing to show your mercy to such as us. Forgive us of our sins, Lord. Help us to continue to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ and his cross as the only ground of our salvation and to know that we are saved because of his work, not because of our own. Thank you for him, and hear us, we pray in his name. Amen. All right, thank you.